then what my my lights kind of wipe me out some but if i get it too dark then i get pixelated when i move around yeah. heaven is darker than i am i'm puerto rican <laughs> He puts on makeup. It's my makeup. It's my makeup. It's my show makeup. Well, you don't have on any makeup. And I sure as shit don't have on any makeup. Like, damn, how Kevin is literally the darker one out of all of us. That's it. Well, you know, that's that that's that whole Scottish thing. We hate being that pure white. So we gotta go and, you know, soak up the vitamin D every chance we get. So well, see, but see, you know, the thing is is that both of you have the beard. So round, round face, big head. If Kevin, I mean, if um, if Cliff shaves his head, I can see where you look alike. But but Cliff needs to go jump his ass in the sun or rub his head, rub himself on his oldest son. There you go. Junior, oh yeah. Junior's big pigmentation. Junior, Junior, because you, of course I'm Greek on my mom's side, and Junior's mom was Filipino. When, That's when why he he's so. Thinks yeah. about going out in the sun. He gets like the most perfect beautiful color tan that people spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on and he, he just gets it naturally and it's it's um, i go soak in the sun topless just to be able to get <laughs> seriously seriously good stuff good stuff but it, it, it it's all good hey mental health warriors i want to thank everybody for joining in uh, i hope you enjoyed the conversation we've been having we just kind of jumped right in the middle of it uh, but uh, my guest today is Linda Diaz. Uh, if you watch Throat Punch Monday, she was on there. Linda's a great friend of mine and she has a great story and with her foundations and the great things that she does for the community out there at large and for our children is pretty amazing. Um, I wanted her to come on to our show to, to really talk about her foundation. Um, but, you know, as we're coming out of COVID uh, for the last two years and the stress these children have been under for being isolated and things like that. I really wanted her to kind of talk about because she's the expert and, and I'm not, but I have a teenage son and a seven-year-old about, you know, these stressors these kids are going through and, and kind of as they come out of that and maybe talk about, you know, some triggers uh, that maybe you might be seeing in your children or not in your children, or maybe a friend that comes over to your house, um, you know, and, and she's just going to kind of go through that. And I really would like for her to talk about, you know, if I'm a parent and my son or daughter is exempting those types of symptoms, um, you know, what can I do or where can I go to kind of get from help? And, and, and so Linda, so with that, I'll, I'll follow in. I want to say thank you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're a very busy woman with everything that you do. Um, and I'm appreciative of you to come on and, and everything. And um, I just kind of want to just kind of jump off and go ahead and let you uh, jump in and, and, and talk about kind of what I just said. And we'll just kind of go from there. Awesome. Thank you, Cliff. Um, you thanks welcome. for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into it. We're going to keep it short and we're going to keep it simple. I am a proud mother. Um, I served in the military. I, you know, I had two kids. I was raising both of my kids, um, you know, as a single mother. And, um, you know, I didn't have the greatest childhood. I was, you know, between family and foster homes. So I had... Um, you know, uh, you know, something in mind as to what I wanted to do when I raised my girls. And one of them was to always try to keep an open dialogue. And my girls were almost 10 years apart. And um, yeah, I kind of figured, you know what, I'm going to do what I can to try to, um, kids like to hide things. We like to hide, you know, that, you know, we're going through something because our parents are possibly going through something. And 
you know, with my oldest child, it was her and I against the world. It was a little bit easier. Um, she was always open and honest. And with my youngest child, um, her father was in the picture, but we were divorced. And um, he, you know, suffered from heroin addiction. And even though he was suffering through that, and I tried to explain to my daughter that that was a disease, you know, she held in a lot of anger towards him because he chose drugs over her. And I always kept the mind to be sensitive to, you know, um, my youngest daughter's feelings and how, you know, she was feeling. I always, you know, I always thought that I was always in tune because she was always open and honest with me. Um, you know, she would ask me questions outside the box of our, you know, family. And um, I would always answer her. Um, if she asked me anything, I would always be very honest. Um, then she started getting bullied. Um, her pictures got taken from Instagram. Uh, you know, uh, adults started it within my family, they started to bully her with regards to her sexuality. Uh, we never spoke about it because it wasn't something that, you know, was a topic of conversation. Um, like I said, open dialogues, let my kids come to me, be able to express to me. I didn't want to force my kids to, you know, to, to you know, into a conversation if they weren't comfortable. And um, obviously she wasn't comfortable, but when she started to get bullied with regards to her sexuality, being outed at 14 as, you know, being gay when she wasn't ready to talk about it. Um, with all of these different things that were going on and to include, she was the confidant for what all of her friends were going through. Yeah. Um, needless to say, I lost my daughter February 16th, 2013 to suicide. Um, I don't want to make it graphic, but I'm going to be very honest to express to parents. My daughter was smart enough to tell me um, while I was out for an errand, could she please, could I please give her something to eat? Um, she knew that my errand wasn't going to take, you know, but about 10 minutes. And um, when she asked me, you know, to get her something to eat as well as, you know, get her a uh, feminine product, um, I did that. And upon returning home, I found my daughter hanging from the banister over the stairs. And so somehow or the other, I managed to cut her down, dial 911, um, you know, I kept her heart going and I was able to stabilize her until the paramedics came. 12 hours later, she had been medevaced to Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland, where she ended up dying as a result of her suicide. That threw me into an abyss of what did, what did I miss? You know, I always thought I had an open dialogue with my kids. You know, um, whenever she complained about stomach aches or anything like that, the very first thing I did was took it to you know, the doctor. So if she complained about a rash, took it to the doctor, her primary care physician. Um, I thought I was doing the right thing, but what I didn't realize what, you know, what was a true disease was something that I could not see, which was depression. And what I explained to people is this, what my daughter was possibly going through was the equivalent of either being shot in the head or stabbed where she was excessively losing blood and she was getting worse because 
no one could see what was happening in her head. I couldn't see what was happening in her head. And she is a child, rightfully so, at 14, going on 15. She didn't understand what she was going through. And in her mind, me as a single mother taking care of her and her being, you know, sickly with, um, you know, being diagnosed with anemia and having, um, you know, uh, to wear braces and um, eczema and all of these different things and having to go through allergy shots. My daughter thought it was best to try to struggle and fix what was going on in her head because I, as mom, had too much going on and she didn't want to open up and be a burden to me. And in the end, I lost her. I lost her to suicide. And that's what I want parents to understand. Right now, these kids, they're in COVID, they're in COVID mood and the mood that they're in has changed. Um, I created my foundation because I didn't understand what, how I lost my daughter. If I thought I was such a good mother and a loving and attentive mother, how did I miss losing my child? So the way that my organization was formed was it was as a result of all of my daughter's friends reaching out to me. What I found out was sometimes parents were so caught up in work that we can't hear our kids. Um, sometimes teachers are so overwhelmed with kids that they can't see the signs. Sometimes school counselors are overwhelmed with violence in the schools that they can't see the signs. And then there's a lack of communication between everyone. So in other words, the community is broken. And the community, and with the community being broken, none of us can see the communication that's being provided by these kids. Yeah. And it's not by, it's not just words. It's not kids going, I hate you. Uh, you know, I'm going to kill myself. You know, it's the ones that are also quiet and silent. You know, that they're, every, in, a, in other words, they're all hurting in very different ways. And I started my organization because I found that I needed to fight for kids. And in trying to reach out to parents and being shut out, trying to reach out to the schools and being shut out, trying to reach out and trying to start something with the local board of education ended up going nowhere. So I ended up going to legislation. Yeah. And that's when we found out that Maryland never required that school counselors have to be recertified and they did not have to take continuing education credits in anything related to behavioral wellness when it came to our children. So when I went to my daughter's school counselor and said, something's going on, every time I ask her if she needs help, she tells me she's okay, can you talk to her? That school counselor never called her down. After my daughter died from suicide, the school counselor in the school still did not see these cries of these children. So multiple of my daughter's friends attempted suicide. Wow. And because Loren was barely 15, she died three weeks after her 15th birthday. Since she was barely 15, she had friends who were 12 and 13 and then 14, 15, 16, yeah. 17. So Two of her friends that were 13 and 14 attempted suicide. 
the 13-year-old attempted twice it, within a year of Loren being gone. And that is what ended up pushing me to where I needed to go. Um, I, I started receiving suicide notes and everything from, yeah. from kids. My mom won't listen to me. The school won't listen to me. Yeah. So that's what threw me on this road to be able to be the liaison, to be the advocate, to be the voice for these children and to help adults to be able to understand how to read these kids, to read their body language, to understand what they are saying without physically having these kids to come out and say, I'm hurting and I desperately need help. And so that's how Lorenz Law was created. I, no one knew me as my name. All they knew me as was Lorenz's mother who fights for kids, who fights for families in crisis to save their children. Um, and that is how my organization started. It came from crisis. I still live in crisis. I still help to resolve crisis. But ultimately, it is to save lives, um, to be an advocate um, and, and a resource uh, for parents, for youth, for the communities, in order to be able to understand, to educate, and be the liaison on mental health and emotional awareness in order to help save lives of our children because most important, they are the future. Mm -hmm. And we can't have a future as adults if we don't do anything to help salvage the foundation of what's going on with our youth today. And, you know, I, I, I want to bring up something because, you know, I don't know if you remember this, Linda, a couple of years ago, um, we had a, a, a lady who helped us with Lloyd watching Lloyd and she's also our housekeeper, Mary. Yeah. And she was late getting Lloyd off from the bus one day. And she's, she's yeah. never done that before. And I had to rush home from work and, and I couldn't figure out what's going on. And, and what had happened is she'd went home and her oldest daughter had attempted suicide and she was taking her to the emergency room. And, you know, Mary's English isn't all that great. I mean, if we're talking face to face, I mean, we can yeah. communicate, but on the phone, it's more difficult for her. And um, I called you and even before her daughter left the hospital, you had him set up with counseling and, you know, and really, I, I will tell you that her daughter now today is flourishing. And I always ask Mary when she, cause she just cleaned my house yesterday. I always ask her how her daughter's doing. She's working at Home Depot. She's thinking about going to college and, and all these things. And Linda, what you did for her and that family is just amazing. Thank you. And, uh, she was so thankful of that. And I don't know if you talked to her, you know, for a while or whatever, but um, the, the changes in her and just and what her daughter was going through and, and she was, you know, being picked on and, and being bullied and other things. And I asked my older son, Junior, because they're the same age. I said, um, do you do you know he he knew but he didn't know her right? right um but i told cliff i said uh you need to pay attention to her she's being bullied you need to stop it right i just just sat yeah. i said exactly family. it's she's the no brother if you see her at school being bullied you step in and stop it he says dad no yeah. problem my son's a second degree black belt did jujitsu he has no problem 
Exactly. And so I don't know if any cases happened after that, but I know that they, I never heard of it happening after that. So hopefully that resolved itself. But you bring up a good point and you were talking about when you talk to the counselors who your daughter was seeing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have trust in the school that these counselors, you know, have their credentialing to, to be able to help my because kids will always tell things to other people, just like the bartender syndrome, right? I talk about that. Yeah. Is, you know, you yeah. go to the bar and you tell somebody your problem that you would never tell anybody because they're a stranger. And these yeah. kids go to these counselors to talk about things that they're not comfortable maybe with talking with their parents or other friends about. And if mm-hmm. these, and, and I had complete trust on this. And my older brother is a superintendent in the school in Ozark. And, mm-hmm. and when I found out this about you, the first thing I did was call him and ask him about it. He's like, oh no, we make sure our counselors have keep up on their credentialing. You know, that, of course, he was in the military and that was a big thing for him. And but I was shocked to know that uh, that they weren't keeping up with their credentialing. And then then it, mm-hmm. then it begs to wonder, you know, how can they help the kids? Yes. If they how don't they help the kids, if they don't understand, what are they doing? And so yeah. I know that you went through a lot of heartaches when you went and got Lowen's Law put in place. And a lot of places, you know, um, blacklisting you, I guess, for a better lack of a better term or, or being standoffish because you you brought attention, a very important problem that was going on that they didn't want to have brought to light. They were embarrassed right. by it. I'm assuming they were embarrassed by it and probably hurt by it. Um, and so, you know, as we as you move forward with your foundation with Lawrence Law, I know that um, you also go out and you teach um, a certain type. Of, and I forget the name of it and I, and I apologize for that. Um, but you, okay, you yeah. can talk about it, but you go out now and you teach the, the teachers now, right? And the counselors. Are I did. I did. I actually had a, I had a partnership with the Maryland State Department of Education because after the first law was passed for the school counselors, and I, as I had mentioned, um, teachers will also notice the signs of children and what they're going through. So what I also did was um, worked with um multiple legislation. And what we ended up doing is two years after the first Lorenz law was passed, part two of that was passed in 2017, where every year, all staff in the schools had to have annual suicide prevention training. And that wasn't being done. And so in order to make sure that they never had to come out of pocket for it, um, I reached out and the Maryland State Department of Education, we kind of partnered together. And me as a QPR instructor, so it's question, persuade, and refer. And that is, I mean, if you were to look up, you know, qpr.com, if you went or .org, if you go to the organization, and that's listed on my website, you can take online courses as a parent and even as a child. You know, you can have, they have youth sessions that can be taken over, you know, online in order to be able to educate yourself. Because what I did was I needed to educate myself. I couldn't find anything. So in partnering with the Maryland Department of Education, we, we held training sessions and we had 65 individuals in the state of Maryland holding positions related to the schools in order for them to provide internal annual suicide um, suicide awareness training for everyone in the school. So they don't have to go look for it in the community. They can, they can find it within themselves. 
And that to me was always important because funding is already you know, um, you know, very hard for yeah. schools. And I didn't want schools to have to, you know, to, to, to take on burdens like that. So with them doing their own internal um, annual training that doesn't cost them anything and they just set it up you know, whenever they need to, it just has to be done and submitted um, uh, and it, to be put into their files and recognized by December 1st every year. Oh, nice. Of every school year. So they, so in other words, the school year is starting. If, are there new traits going down? For example, COVID. Yeah. Are there new trends out there? What's going on? What's changing? And, you know, I'm going to be very honest, Cliff, and you know this. Oh, yeah. COVID didn't really change. What happened was it flipped. And so there used to be so much bullying and there was so much being done in the schools. There was so much that was being hidden, hidden from the parents, hidden from the media and maintained in the school. So what ended up happening was when COVID happened and everything started going virtually, you had the children that were being bullied and alienated and targeted in the schools. Those are the ones that ended up flourishing at home because they were safe right. in their bubble. They were safe from all of the kids that were causing the bullying. Yeah. So now you have all the kids at home with the virtual learning and having to go outside of their home in order to be able to get fresh air. Then you have the bullying. Who's monitoring the bullying? virtually outside of the homes right so now you have the violence that is still going on that was never truly being captured never truly being captured by media or anything like that so now it's really coming out now you have bullying i mean you have um this young man jay lynn in montgomery county um just a couple of weeks ago that was uh, being bullied and ended up being murdered at 17 years old. You know, so it's, and this is what I like to tell individuals. Kids suffer. Um, some of them who come from strict homes or homes that are, um, you know, I want to say the parents could have their own form of a disease, whether it's substance abuse, whether it's you know, alcoholism, whether, you know, whatever, you know, whether they came. So for their own childhood trauma. Exactly. So we have individuals who could be self-medicating from childhood trauma, not realizing that they are now taking their cycle of dysfunction and passing it on to their children. And now that cycle of dysfunction, which happens to be violent again, is coming out in a different way. And I, and you know, my number one thing is to break that cycle of dysfunction and for us to understand as adults that it is our responsibility, just like with you and just like with Maria, you at your family, you have partnered to ensure that Maria, her family mm. is okay. And then Junior is now aware around him of what is going on. And that is 
how we actually break the cycle. Yeah. We need to pay what we do forward. We need to be able, and see, a lot of people are very private. So when I help a lot of families, a lot of families don't come forward. They want to kind of keep what their child was going through to themselves because often we are, you know, with my daughter, my ex-husband, Loren's father, was a heroin addict who became violent, who attempted to kill us multiple times. And I had to do what I needed to do to try to protect my child. And he, in turn, me by having my daughter and her father being this abusive heroin addict and then my family bullying my daughter, I unknowingly birthing my child, a form of trauma was happening internally. Yeah. And she never went to school. She didn't fight. She went to school. She protected other bullies, uh, other children from being bullied because of what she was going through. She kept what she was going through to herself. But she also had friends, friends who were coming out as, you know, part of the LGBTQ community who were out coming out to their families, children who were being beaten for coming out, children who were being kicked out of their homes and homeless going out and my daughter knew all of this. So my daughter with her empathy and I always thought of her as hope. Yeah. All of that was killing her hope. And she couldn't talk to me because I think she knew that I would fight for her and her friends, but she thought she can handle it and it overwhelmed her. And that's what these kids are going through. They're being overwhelmed. Do you think the fact that maybe she was hesitant to come to you because she was being bullied from somebody from the family and she thought that might cause a rift inside the family? Because I think that happens more than what people realize. You know, it may be a distant cousin. It might be, you know, distant uncle or, or whomever um that may have a different viewpoints on life now my older brother is, is gay and I remember you know I was in the military for a long time but I remember I had to be careful when I would come to town I couldn't just really go out to the gay bars with my brother because that's where he, where he hung out and and if you ever been to a, a gay bar or whatever it's just they're just having a lot of fun but I had yeah. to be guarded because somebody could out me out even though I wasn't gay I could get kicked out of the military as stupid as it sounds yeah. just to associate with it Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember the rift that my older brother being gay had with my father and the rift that they had for years over it. Yeah. And my older brother, he's nine years older, eight years older. You know, he just kind of had to leave, you know, at a very young age. He moved out when he was 18, had rental houses and all kinds of stuff. It was very successful. Mm-hmm. But he, he left and they didn't it really was years later on when they finally had, you know, some type of better relationship. Right. And I remember. Look, when at, DJ, look at you know, look at what year this is. It's 2022. Yeah, yeah. and we're still having those. It's, it's a lot better. It's 2022, it, it's and it might be better, and there may be laws, but it's still out there. You know, yeah. a lot of people want to focus on, you know, um, uh, I want to say racism. You know, I mean, for goodness sakes, you know, we were joking about this earlier because. I'm Puerto Rican and yeah. I am like 
I'm, you know, I'm very white compared to a, a lot of Puerto Ricans. And, um, you know, one of the things that I know Loren also went through at school was, you know, well, what are you? You know, here, she died in 2013 and people were still, you know, so fixated on, you know, what are you? You know, you, you're brown, but you have, you know, fine wavy hair. Are you mixed? Are you, you know, so these kids are, are also still going through that. And it's taught, you know, the one important thing that I want to remind everybody in this world of is children are not born with the rage or the judgment. Yeah. They, everything is taught. They are taught to behave how they are. And again, it goes back to the cycle of dysfunction. If we as, an, as adults truly want a better society, we start with our children yep. and separating our children, you know, because of our personal dislike yep. um, is, is not how we get a better tomorrow. Yeah. You, know, I, you, know, I, you know, when I grew up in a small town, rural Missouri, we, we didn't have any, we didn't have any people of, of color or any. Uh, you know, there were just white people. They were just a farming community. And it wasn't because we were racist or anything. And, and my dad always brought us, instilled in us that you treat people how you want to be treated. And it right. doesn't matter the color of skin. Good people are good people. And you treat them as such. If they're bad people, then you treat them as such. It has nothing to do with the color of their skin, never has. And exactly. I've instilled that in, into my children. Um, you know, to go back to what you were talking, my wife, who is um, she's, she, her dad was from Trinidad and her mom's, her mom's white. And she went through the same, same thing in school back in the nineties mm-hmm. where she didn't, and she, she grew up in Massachusetts she, where she didn't fit in one group or the other group. She was always in between groups. Now for me, who grew up in a society where it was the same group. Now in that same town where I grew up now it's a mixed community now. Right. And so, but I just grew up in the same now inside of my community where I grew up, you had the poor kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and then he had the rich kids and he had that dichotomy going on or right. we lived right. across these railroad tracks. Then you were a bad kid, you yes. know, opposed to this side of the railroad tracks. Right. And that went on. That's um, so true. That's and, and you, know, you know, know, you said the rail. Look, we're from two different sides of the railroad. It's called redlining. Yeah. You know, but we all live it in that. And to me, I decided to be above all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I heard it from when I was younger. You know, my mom married my stepdad, and I, I have no idea why, but nobody, it, it was like, it was, I was a secret because I was the, I was the white. Woman.